Greetings, true believers, and welcome to episode three of the Pull List Podcast, season two, a bi-weekly show about comics, pop culture, and faith. My name is Chris Poirier, and with me, but socially distanced by a few hundred miles, is always Hector. How's it going, Hector? Party on, Wayne. Ah, party on, Garth. Um, Welcome to our wonderful show, everyone. It is COVID-tastic. I hope you are all having a wonderful shelter-in-place time or as much as you can. But we've got comics to talk about, so strap yourselves in, prepare yourselves, for we've got comic sign. Better put the word out. Get ready for the nerd out. Better put specs on. Better bring next on today's episode of The Pull List, we're going to talk about some of our favorite past reads to help some of y'all kind of figure out what to read. Well, new comics are, well, not really currently a thing. Um, there are some things out there, and we're going to talk about that. But comics as a whole are not being distributed, so we want to give you guys some ideas to help some of your local shops if they're still open or at least doing mail order or doing curbside pickup. There's lots of different ways to get books right now. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to hit the latest news on when we might actually see new comics again and kind of give you an update on what's going on in the industry as a whole during this whole COVID-19 thing. This is the Pull List Podcast. So Hector, we do have kind of a few things in the news, which seems odd that in theory, creators and everyone have been told pencils down a few weeks ago, but they're, the the industry continues forward, such as it were, as new news on whether new distribution options are going to come out. Um, conventions kind of unfortunately continue to kind of fall off the radar. And there's also some rumors about when we might actually see content again. So... I think we should probably start off right at the top with some of kind of the more disappointing news. And I know this impacts you a little bit. San Diego Comic-Con is officially a no-go for 2020. So the first time in 50 years, there won't be a San Diego. That's the probably one of the kind of craziest realities seen through all of this is that, you know, we're, we're really at that place. Every I mean... Comic right. shutting down in San Diego literally is, is about as big as you can get in this process. Right. And I don't think it goes unnoticed that I that first number was a five and the second number was a zero, that you were there last year for the 50th anniversary. And so this was going to be 51. And they haven't had a break. Um I wanted to double check that, but most people seem to concur that San Diego never really took a break during all 50 of those years. So it's noticeable when, you know, the biggest dog in town is like, no, we're we going to stay home. We're, we're going to do the thing. Um, it wasn't a reschedule either that they're just like, nah, it seems best that we'll just see everybody next year. And I guess the only. Well, there's, you know, there's no way you can reschedule San Diego with yeah. any other show because. There's not another month you can put San Diego in that doesn't like tram like just trample someone else. Yeah, and there's a lot of shows that are already rescheduling in the August, September, October, November timeframe, which is now usually end of con season is now suddenly looking like the beginning, middle and end of the con season, which means there's going to be tons of potential shows on top of each other if a bunch of shows decide to reschedule and some already have. Um, well, so I've seen it, some shows that are actually on their third reschedule. Yes. There's a lot of that going on. They're like, cool, we'll see you in May. And it's like, <laughs> just, just kidding. That's, well, it's like oh. Fayetteville, my local show, uh, was scheduled for next week. Mm-hmm. Um, that's out and they moved it to June with their initial move. And, you know, <laughs> The, their next show was already going to be in October. So what? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. And I know the shows that I used to work on, Oak City was supposed to be, I think, a week ago. Uh, they rescheduled for the end of the month. And that's still in the shelter in place order. So I haven't seen a rescheduled date so that they don't reschedule three or four times <laughs> until finally getting it right that – uh, for a lot of shows, this is just difficult. And I mean, also in my notes here is the same day that San Diego said we're out. WonderCon was going to reschedule and they're like, nah, we're, we're out too. Um, 
so a lot of the bigger shows are just they're calling 2020 we'll, we'll see you next year and i know for you because a lot of years you're on the road traveling to a lot of shows and we kind of touched on this last episode but the convention scene is just as important to a lot of us as fans as you know the content that we read that conventions are those opportunities for us to interact with our creator friends with one another to go see cool panels and everything and there's just there is a gaping hole in my heart this year because i don't even get to read the news about what's going on at these cool shows or living vicariously through you at at shows because i'm sad and poor down here in well, the middle of nowhere. <laughs> not just that, man. Like, legitimately, uh, cons are where new fans are created. Um, True. In, in many aspects, that when you walk by and see an, a line for an artist or writer, that you that can pique an interest. But beyond yeah, who's that, that guy? Um, some of these writers and artists make more money at a con Absolutely. than they do for the book. Because, like, what the average writer is, like, what, 90 bucks a page? Or is it artist that's, like, That's you know. artist, and that's the high end. Technically, for writers and stuff like that, for distribution and everything, it's more on the order of magnitude of one to two cents per page, unless they sell tens of thousands of copies. Um, so, one the, that math That math does not play out well for a lot of the creators, and that's why, to your point, being able to sell original or even reproduced work at a show is a big deal to a lot of creators. But there's even some of the big names will make more money at one weekend of a heavily trafficked con than they actually do for writing and illustrating these books we love. Yep, it's so... You know, we're going to talk in a moment here about the impact of retailers and everything, but the obvious impact to us as fans is, you know, no new content and not being able to share and the enjoyment that we get in just sharing the joint experience of a convention. But this is hitting the bottom line for so many folks. And with a pencils down order from a majority of the big publishers over the last month, they weren't even producing new stuff. Some of the stuff got pushed way to the right, which means there is going to be a gap in some of their income. And some of them have started doing Patreons that weren't doing them because conventions were holding them down. And they were like, I don't want to have to answer to my convention crowd and a Patreon list. And that makes sense. Um, but now they're just like, we, we, we know money make at all right now. And so part of that struggle is absolutely real for the folks that produce all of this stuff we love. But I'm also just kind of curious, Hector, because I know you're a lot like I am from shows that there's a huge emotional attachment that we get to being able to share those experiences with our friends. And right now, you especially are normally ramping up. Um, and I would have being... been gone almost every weekend for the last month right. on my regular calendar. <laughs> C- catching up with friends, um, you know, getting prepared to launch a new book. Um, <coughs> new new faith and fandom coming <laughs> coming soon. Um, yeah, we that's we know that too. guy. Yeah, see, it's impacting us all. Um, but what what are what are your feelings right now? That other than just you know the fact that we barely get out of our homes and everything, but this is a big part of who a lot of us are as comic fans. And just where where you at, friend? I want to make sure you're okay. Well realistically and i've told you this and i think i mentioned this on my personal podcast the other day is that um you know when we had been talking and recently that i was planning to really take a break from the comic-con scene just because of how much i have been traveling and working and just that i was exhausted and you know my game plan was literally to hit every possible option in 2020 and go out strong and basically retire for a season. And you heard it here, uh, speculators. You you might want to mark the next Faith and Fandom book. <laughs> yeah, the the next book is actually called the final book until the next one. Um, until the next one. So that'll either be really sad for it, it actually being the final book or cute for the next one. Who knows? Um, but like legit. I really had set my schedule up and everything and built relationships and had, you know, 
I had put a lot of time, money, effort, and hope, honestly, hope costs more than anything into mm-hmm. just what this year was going to look like. And it, it is a gaping hole. And, um, you know, I hadn't officially been invited back to San Diego, but I had been approached and, um, you know, I was going to find out in the next, you know, based on the regular calendar, I was going to find out in the next week or so if I was actually going to San Diego. Right. And, you know, there's that. But, like, honestly, San Diego's big and it's important. But, honestly, for me, uh, Heroes Con is my linchpin. Because Heroes Con is the con I've been to every year for the last decade. It's yep. where I got my start. Um, I base my whole year around Heroes Con. And Heroes Con hasn't officially canceled. They're trying really hard to pull something off. Um, but I'm... I'm kind of at a loss, and that's one of the things, like, Love Thy Nerd does such a great job with sending, like, large groups to big cons and, like, doing ministry in that capacity. Um, right. But a, lo- a bulk of Love Thy Nerd's work is the online community and all the great interviews and resources and stuff like that. So, you know, outside of missing a couple events, Love Thy Nerd can keep trucking as is. We're on the flip side, outside of memes and... <laughs> Some podcasts like them, sweet, sweet memes. I love me some memes. Uh, outside of memes and podcasts, my stuff is 90% con, like 20% digital. So, mm-hmm. like, I'm feeling sidelined, uh, in a Comic Con ministry capacity, but not only that, like, it's it's compounded because as a pastor, um, not being able to like go physically minister to my people sucks. Yep, no, uh, I'm right there with you on that one. And producing online content as a church versus like interaction with people to people. It's I'm not going to say it's not worth it, but man, it feels hollow in comparison. And, you know, I'm just a bit, I'm a bit tired. I'm a bit, uh, down with it. Like, um, yeah, I'm not going to say I'm lost, but, uh, yeah. It, it does discourage because, like, I don't know what I'm doing now because, like, I don't know the next con I'm going to attend. Like, this past weekend uh, was supposed to be the first con I ever put together. Um, right. You were going to hold a, a mini con at your church, right? You were kind of doing connecting all the f- creative folks in North Carolina, South Carolina and throwing together I- exactly what you've been doing on the road, but bringing it to you. Right. Yeah. And that was kind of the idea. And we had such a dope lineup. We had so many good creators and stuff lined up and, you know, just sitting there like, you know, I'm obviously saying that this was a selfish thought, but like when all of this first started, like that was my one thing was like, oh man, don't let my con get canceled. Um, (laughs) And full aware that's completely selfish. I'm, you know, I get that. Uh, But yeah, that's where it was for me, man. And I'm just so sad to see it not happening, but you know, there, this is, you know, like we've mentioned, this is a lot of people's ministry. This is a lot of people's livelihood. Yeah. There's just so many people impacted by this. And that's really why we wanted to spend time today on the podcast here is so podcast fam, you're not alone. If you're feeling kind of out of whack or, you know, out of step or whatever word you want to use to define kind of the, the funk that you might be feeling is, it, it is hitting everybody and it's hitting us all in similar and different ways. But even us nerds, we're, we're here trying to figure out what comes next. And honestly, you know, Hector and I've been going over stuff and being like, cool, how do we talk about comics when there are no comics? And well, good news. There, there were plenty of ways to talk about comics. So we're going to do that. But we also just want to be really honest with all of you about where, you know, we're at and where the industry is at. And so, yeah, it's kind of a downer just looking at the schedule and seeing cons fall off. And all of us were kind of holding our breath that San Diego would be kind of late enough that it would be the grand kind of opening to the new con season. And would that, be really, they, they would literally like keep everything from collapsing and like say, Hey, yep, we got Boom. it. Don't worry. We got this. Yep. So that Spider-Man that a, holding the train from going off the edge of their tracks. Like, right. That was San Diego's job. And they went <laughs> off the tracks. Oh no. So that brings us to the other side of the industry with, you know, comic books actually being distributed and coming out and everything. And 
we kind of mentioned a couple of the things that have been discussed before with the Comics Hub solution and possible digital first type things. And we mentioned rumors that some of the major publishers were considering direct distribution options. Well, that kind of came to in the last couple of days and DC announced a direct distribution plan that they had with two brand new distributors and it's been an interesting process as we've kind of floated through the news and I've talked to some retailer friends about what's going on there but the long and short of it is the two new quote unquote distributors aren't really all that new they're both major online retailers and physical presence retailers, one of them being Midtown Comics out of New York and Discount Comic Book Service, which I believe is California-based. So the basic idea was they would have a left coast and right coast um, presence that they could put the two different things. But for a lot of retailers, they heard DC Comics looking at them going, here, use two of literally your largest online uh, competitors to get your books. <laughs> and a lot of the retailers are like, nah, <laughs> no. Um, Mid- we see, say, we see what you did there. Book. Midtown comic books is almost as much of a, of a dirty word as like, uh, digital. Al- like, almost. Um, they're physical. I mean, 100% fam. Don't, don't, mishear this that midtown has created an unbelievably powerful um presence as a retailer and they've done that by being quality oh yeah and they do a lot of really cool things um some of the most amazing um store variants definitely come from them and a lot of that has to do with the level of volume they can do as as a store and they're really good at online sales and distribution. It's, it makes a lot of sense why they were chosen. Um, but that said, the plan got released so that new books could come out on the 27th. So little over a week problem being in order to meet that demand, all the retailers were informed of that on Friday, this last Friday, um, which would have been the 17th, um, depending on when we finally get this episode out, hopefully tomorrow. Um, Yeah, the joys of technology and podcasting. You're either going to hear things exactly as I intended them to, or you will hear them in the future from the past. Yeah, that's comic booky enough. Going with it. Um, Gave everybody literally four days to to sign up with the new things, read through all the the legalese, figure out their new um, discounts, and put in orders for books. Again, with their competitors, which means all of their competitors would know what all of their competitors normally buy on DC books. So take that for what it's worth. Um, and yeah, unfortunately DC found a way it's not a diamond way, but it, it still seems to ring a little hollow in, in the retail space because the 27th is going to be in the middle of when most States are still under shelter in place orders, <laughs> which means most stores can't get it. Even if it got shipped on time anyway. Um, and then just trying to figure out what this new distributorship really means for them as an industry is kind of a lot to digest in a very short period of time. And that's all we really know about it at, at the moment. So DC definitely, you know, went big and there's a lot of other issues that underpin it there. One of the biggest being DC technically does have an exclusivity contract with diamond and everyone's like, so how's that working out? Um, so if you ever thought comics could be a complicated mess of lawyers and contracts and distributorship, and that we'd be talking about comic book logistics for two straight episodes, congratulations. Welcome to the world of comics. Um, but the short of it is, You might see new DC comics on the 27th, but it sounds like a majority of retailers are going to bound together and just wait for Diamond, who has also said, we are targeting a mid to late May restart on distribution. So you only have to hold out for maybe two to four more weeks and everything's going to be fine. Supposedly that's, that's what's being said at least. Now Um, is the DC thing just until Diamond's back up or is that? 
it's not clear. Um, there's been a lot of back and forth on, is this just a stopgap? And if it is, then we, we would just wait, right? Because, yeah. um, again, half of us aren't going to be open on the 27th anyway. Um, so why give my competitors a bunch of my sales data basically through orders? Um, it seems rather odd, but that's, what's been announced. Now, the thing that's still has a lot of folks concerned is what kind of happened over the last couple of weeks since we last recorded as well is Diamond missed a couple payments to vendors, which means only about two weeks of not making money from regular distributorship put them to basically a cash negative position, which made a bunch of us in the middle go, wait, what? It only took two weeks of non-normal business for the sole comic book distributor to look really questionable <laughs> if they were going to survive this. Um, so there's still a lot of question marks of Diamond announcing their return came out basically as immediately as DC announced their new solution. So a lot of us are wondering how much of this is industry positioning versus what's actually going on. So, yep. Like I said, if you wondered if comics could be a really fascinating discussion on small businesses, large businesses, and distributorships, um, well, it is because this is what we're living out as fans and as retailers kind of in the middle of everything. Now, has Marvel said anything about Marvel what Marvel has, and that's the thing, is Marvel literally is dead silent. And the only thing we've learned out of Marvel in the last couple of weeks is that they've had to furlough a lot of their creative staff. And I don't mean the creators themselves, but your their editorial level, their marketing, all of that. That Disney has a little over 35,000 employees on furlough. Marvel had to pony up some people as well because Disney wasn't going to have any of that. Um, so lots of question marks at the big two, but for different reasons. Um, so from all the way down to the smallest of retailers that get us our books every week, all the way up to the big two in terms of just functioning as companies, this has hit everybody in a variety of different ways. And it's been kind of difficult to decipher it all because we've been trying as an industry to come up with solutions on the fly. And most of those solutions have felt that way. <laughs> so we will be keeping an eye on everything for all of you to continue to keep you up to date in terms of what we see going on in the industry as we, you know, weather this storm just like everyone else. So that's what you need to know for at least right now. That's our bi-weekly look at the industry and delivering you all of that wonderful inside knowledge. And as always, you can join the conversation with Hector and I on all of our nerdy friends over at Love Thy Nerd Facebook community. Just search Love Thy Nerd community. They're on the book of faces, you know, little search bar. Hit join and you can begin your geeky adventure together with us. Tell us what you liked, what you hated, or possibly even what we missed. We know there's just so much going on right now that that's kind of where we try to have our conversation throughout the rest of the weeks. Transitioning now a little bit, we want to now talk about some of the things that make us happy about comics. Um, because we don't have new comics, Hector and I kind of thought about we should revisit some of the things that we have recommended over the last year or more. And some of, we might not even have gotten to. Yeah. I've never mentioned most of my yeah, stuff. So yeah, I know I've mentioned some of mine, which won't come as a surprise or we've talked about them, but they weren't, you know, like top of the list type stuff because some of them are older and we want to give you that list of trades or bulk of comics that you can read that are really awesome that if you haven't read them, they're new to you. So support your local comic shop however you can as long as they're doing mail order or something. These are what Hector and I would call kind of our um, shelter in place reads. And we'll continue to do this as long as we don't have new comics so that we can give you guys ways to be reading cool stuff that maybe you haven't. Try something new or just, you know, be able to support your local comic shop. So, Hector, you said most of yours are pretty new, at least to our audience. So why don't you take us a walk down memory lane with you and some of the things that you think people absolutely should be reading? Okay, well, first off... 
the one I will say is one of the first ones that I really kicked back into when I started reading comics again as an adult um, was uh, Identity Crisis by Brad Meltzer. Ooh. Um, it kind of kicked off the whole uh, crisis, like the train of crisis books in the early 2000s for um, DC where you got Identity Crisis, Infinite Crisis, Countdown to Final Crisis, and Final Crisis. All um, the crises. All the crises. Um, but uh, with that, Identity Crisis was a seven-issue arc that honestly, when I heard the pitch for it, I thought it was stupid. <laughs> and I remember being in <clears throat> a local comic book shop and you know, learning about it and... You know, it just sounded stupid, but I had been reading a Justice League book <clears throat> that had uh, been leading up to some stuff, and I don't. I just I wanted to check it out. But in a nutshell, it and warning a little trigger warning ahead of sensitive uh, discussion material, um, because this was this would have been on Black Label had Black Label been a thing, um, but uh. The story frequents around the fact that um, Sue Dibney, the elongated man's wife, had been murdered. And with a crime that seemed like there were, there was no physical way it could have happened the way it happened. And so, like, it literally, it really hits on the fact of what happens when a superhero's family loses someone uh whether that be a parent a child a spouse whatever it really hit to the full pain and intimacy of relationships and superhero stuff um but the story and this is where the trigger warning kicks in is that um the the main suspect in the crime is dr light you know the goofy teen titans villain um because years prior, uh, Dr. Light had boarded the watchtower and had sexually assaulted and raped uh, Sue Dibney. Um, and I got to say, like, the panel, like, I've, I've got goosebumps, just, you know, like, cringy goosebumps right now. Just because I literally in saying that I can picture that page. I remember being a 20-something-year-old and turning that page and seeing that. And I'm like oh okay and like just how uncomfortable it made me then but that had happened and so he automatically becomes the main suspect but um it's confusing to some people because like they don't quite remember it happening that way or stuff like that but it spiraled out that um because of how horrendous that was um the Justice League for a long time had been erasing memories like say Zatanna or somebody else would erase someone's memory of, you know, finding a secret identity or something like that. Um, but they went further with this um, to basically uh, not fully lobotomize, but to change a person's mental status. Um Oh, interesting. So, uh, when this is this is one I've not read, so that's that's why. Yeah, this is yeah. now floating to the top of my read list. Now, this should definitely—it's only seven issues, and it's some of the most powerful issues I've ever read. Um, so it got to the point that, uh, they with when it came to certain villains, they would straight up mentally alter their mental abilities, state of mind, character traits, things like that. So that Dr. Light being the blundering Teen Titans villain was only he was only a blundering Teen Titans villain because Zatanna basically lowered his mental abilities by a few decades. Um, and this is obviously some shady crap that not everybody would go along with. So they also voted to erase the memory from any of the leaguers minds who didn't agree with it. Oh, so you come to find out 
that Batman had had his memories tampered with, as well as other major heroes. And so that brings on a crazy level of distrust and uh, contention that lasts for about eight years in comics. Um, that lasts all the way through like Final Crisis and Infinite Crisis and all that. Um, but that was a big, big deal. Um, not only that, you have the death of several characters, major characters. Um, you have, and that lasting deaths, like until rebirth deaths, um, mm. like, uh, people that just did not come back. And in fact, uh, one of my other, um, pulls for this plays into this, but I'll hit that in a second. But, um, one of the, you know, outside of the deep emotional stuff that's involved in this. And it is a brilliant book. Brad Miltzer is a genius. I'd recommend anything he writes. Um, but, uh, one of the other things is this also has identity crisis. Number three is one of the most fun comic books in the world period as a single issue. If you don't know anything else, you can pick up issue three and just watch the carnage because, uh, Dr. Light hires Deathstroke to protect him because he knows the league is coming for him. And issue three of Identity Crisis, you get to see Deathstroke take down the entire league in 30 seconds. Um, it, but it's almost like watching it like an episode of Sherlock from like Stephen Moffat that he's literally dictating what he's about to do before he does it. And you get to see Deathstroke think his way through taking down the whole league in 30 seconds. Um, it's essential to everything that was DC Comics for a long time. Um, so Identity Crisis, seven issues, Brad Meltzer. You can pick it up in trade. You can pick it up in individual issues. And they're still not expensive. You can find the originals. Um, but beyond that, they have an absolute edition from DC, which is beautifully sitting on my shelf right over there. Um <laughs> But I'll say that, so that also leads me into one of my other pulls, uh, which is Blackest Night. Um, which, of course. Yeah. Blackest, In case most of you haven't figured it out, Hector might like him some DC. I've got a Marvel in this. Um, yes, you do. I've got a Marvel and an independent, so hey, hey. Um, but, you know, I'll say this, Blackest Night was the birth of all the other Lantern Uh not the Burt, the, the its first creation, but you meet new lanterns. It was what gave flesh to all the lantern colors being, um, you know, becoming an, uh, a big deal. But it's the birth of the Black Lantern. It's the birth of the White Lantern. Um, it's what gave us all the lantern colors in the full spectrum. Um, but that, you know, of hope, of of avarice, of fear, stuff like that. So in Blackest Night, you get to see the dead rise. Um, because a Black Lantern ring affixes itself to anyone who is dead or has been dead. Um, so even if you're currently alive and you have been dead before, you can become a Black Lantern. And um, so that's the, one, one of the things and how I said all this plays in together is that some of the people that died in identity crisis come back mm. in blackest night. So that's the first time you see, uh, Sue Dibney back as a black lantern. Um, Ralph died along the way pursuing her killer in countdown. Um, no, in 52, but, uh, you know, it's you get to see the people who's the trauma you've went through, and then you get people like Sue Dibney actually bringing up um, her assault and like guilt and shaming the league in that capacity. I mean, it was it was brutal, um, but you get all the different lantern colors in battle. You literally get Hal Jordan saying, "Let's get this rainbow rodeo going." I mean, like you get stuff like that. Um, but you get to see a lot of the stuff about death that's deep and dark. Um, at this point in time, Batman had died in Final Crisis. Um, so you actually get to see a zombie Batman, uh, take down the league. And that's fantastic. Um, yeah, zombie Batman before it was cool. You mean? Yeah. Zombie Batman yeah. before it was cool. Um, that could vomit black lantern rings. Yes. Um, so 
you get all that, but um, you get a lot of enduring stuff about life and hope and how we all play together. One of the other best parts of that series is that um, the only way you can defeat the darkness is for all the other colors to work together. So uh, they start deputizing characters into the League. Uh, or into the the Lantern Corps. Into the Lantern Corps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they start deputizing people. And so Lanterns start flying out. So Scarecrow gets a, a yellow Lantern. Uh, Barry Allen. I think it was Barry Allen or Wally West. I can't remember. You know. Flashes. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they actually. Uh, he becomes a blue Lantern. You get. Uh, who was it? Um, Wonder Woman is a pink. Or a violet Lantern. Uh, the loved ones. And uh, who was it? it was Lex Luthor was an orange lantern. So you just get a lot so of much lantern. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff. Um, but then, like, you know, there's actual biblical references in there that the white mm-hmm. lantern is actually the light um, that when God said, let there be light, that was the light that the white lantern comes from. So you get some really cool biblical references with that. I enjoy yeah, it. I'm, I may or may not have done a meme on that recently. Yeah. <laughs> that's true oh yeah you did do that um did it did it but by and large it's one of the most fun uh like cosmic level big all across the universe stories dc's put together ever and um again they have an absolute edition which not only gives you uh, the actual blackest night ones but all the green lantern tie-ins that fully flesh out the story um and Lantern Core stuff is so great. It's supposed to be the home of the DC galactic cosmic stuff, and it all can be hit or miss. But Black as Night is I, I'm on that I'm on that train as well. That that was just some of the best of the core. And uh I I, I wait for the day that we get to see something similar again. Yeah, this is the standard by which everything else is measured. And mm-hmm. um so I'll say that um won't put as much time on this, but I do love it. Um, that Secret Six from DC mm-hmm. um, is amazing. Uh, Gail Simone started that with Villains United during the whole Infinite Crisis deal. Um, but the uh, man, Secret Six grew to be one of my favorite ragtag teams of like anti heroes. To me personally, uh, Secret Six is better than Suicide Squad ever was, um, even at its best. Bold, bold, very statement. bold. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because that was the thing. Secret Six was uh, birthed out of the fact that when every other villain in the world united, they said, "F you, we're not doing it." Um, and they, it's a. <laughs> It's just a great team of eclectic villains, and you get some major villains in there. Like Harley and Deadshot were both in both groups. Um, you get Bane leading a team when Bane wasn't like Tom King Bane, but still like somewhere in the middle of you know all the goodness that Bane could be. Uh, you get uh, some big Barda action that's fantastic, and because it was Gail Simone, you get some really great interactions with birds of prey. You get the doom patrol. You get a lot them interacting with a lot of other folks. And, um, you get Batman and versus Catman flexing Catman's insecurities. Um, and it's <laughs> great. And Catman, uh, straight up, uh, like demeaning Batman for eating a burrito. He's like, <laughs> you're the world's greatest detective and you eat a burrito on a rooftop, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, what just happened? Um, Why am I reading about burrito eating? Yeah, they're literally like Catman's trying to smell what was in Batman's burrito. Um, I'll just say <laughs> this: like, it's Secret Six is one of the best anti-hero group books out there, and uh, you can pick up a volume or two or whatever. Personally, I own everything Secret Six that has ever been done, and I would stand by it at any point in time. That it's fantastic. Um, so I would recommend that, um, my Marvel pick, um, hands down, uh, just want to throw this one in there. It's like, I really love ultimate Spider-Man. Um, there wasn't a much, you know, outside of Nick Fury, um, becoming the Samuel L. L. Jackson archetype. Um, there's not a lot, uh, 
out of the uh, Ultimate Universe that stuck. But that did. And, um, man, it's fantastic. I loved Ultimate Spider-Man. It's one of the most fun, easy-reading Spider-Mans out there. I honestly feel like there aren't many Spider-Man books that have compared or come even close to how good Ultimate Spider-Man was in the long run. Um, so Ultimate Spider-Man is dope. You get some great Venom stuff. Um, honestly, it's some of my favorite Venom. Carnage was cool. Uh, you get just a really long arc and much like The Walking Dead, it's one of the few books that actually has the same creative team for a very long time. Um, because you get Mark Bagley or Bagley, which is it? Bagley. Bagley. Okay. You get Mark Bagley who was you know quintessential spider-man this is the dude that gave us like maximum carnage and stuff like that mm-hmm. you get mark bagley doing um spider-man for years and it's so good because even though he's the same dude that gave us maximum carnage it doesn't look like maximum carnage um it it's also like- a book for me that just it's it's bendis for those of you that haven't caught this it's brian michael bendis and um, if you've been listening to the show, you know, Chris doesn't love him some Brian Michael Bendis, but this is some of his by far best work. And when I see Bendis, this is typically the type of writing I expect. And it just doesn't feel that way in a lot of his newer work because I don't know, but this is one of those things where he literally rolled in and he's like, Oh, you want me to break this? I got you fam. And he sledgehammered it in all of the right ways. You know, what's really bad, sad, good, whatever. Uh, I didn't know it was Bendis. <laughs> <laughs> I just praised the crap out of that, and I had no idea it was Bendis. Cause like, and when- that's what most people, if you literally just picked it up and you weren't paying attention to the creative team on it, you probably wouldn't come to that conclusion right off the bat. Because it, it feels feel like very different Bendis from a lot thing of his I've work. ever done. Yep. Um, so. Like, you <laughs> you're know, welcome. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at it on the shelf now and I've got it signed and stuff, man. Um, so it's like, OK, Aww. but I have it signed by Bagley. But like, honestly, it's one of my favorite Marvel books um, in general. I have the whole run, which is a lot of books, um, but you can literally pick up volume one, which has like 24 issues in it. And it's fantastic. Um, there's a great Spider-Man like romance with Kitty Pride. Loved that. Um, the fact that Black Cat tries to seduce him, then realizes he's in high school and she throws up. Um, <laughs> like, there's so many great things. Uh, but it, if you are a Spider-Man fan at all, or you want to be, pick up Ultimate Spider-Man. And then the last one, I'm going to throw this as a bone because it is not our typical stuff. Um, but I thought I would throw this out there for the folks because all of these are things you can get through probably your local comic book shop and things like that. Here's a freebie. Um, if you're not in a place, cause I know we don't want to push digital comics as a means to like, as in objection to buying physical comics, that's not something we're advertising, but on the flip side, uh, there is, uh, if you're familiar with the company webtoons, it's like a platform for digital comics. And but they're all original digital comics. They're not anything you can buy in print. Um, and one of those books that I would highly recommend is Lore Olympus. It is a romance, like drama, tension, relationshipy story about like Greek gods, and um, you know it's but in a modern setting. So it's a uh, you know you've got Priscilla. Man, I'm going to suck at names. But you've got like mm-hmm. Persephone um, as the main character um, who is in, you know, you know, a serious relationship with uh, the, you know, the God of the Underworld. Or she wants to be in a relationship with the God of the Underworld. And you've got, you know, there's just so much good stuff. So A, if you like free comics, here's an option. B, if you like romance, witty writing, gorgeous art. Um, and, but dealing with stuff, it deals with a lot of things that a lot of other romances or comic books don't deal with. And the fact of, uh, people being emotionally wounded, people being attached to people they shouldn't be dealing with, um, being conflicted over your heart and stuff like that. There's a lot of good meat to the storyline. And one of the cool things is it comes out every week for free. Um, 
and they are up to issue, I want to say, 107. Just yeah, it's in the high hundreds. Yeah. Or low it's hundreds. In the, it's, in the, it's in the high hundreds. And here's the deal. You might want to jump on it now before it's cooler than it is because it has been licensed or whatever for a, a TV series. So the world is going to know about this a lot sooner than we expect. Um, but it also has millions of downloads every week. Um, so Lore Olympus, Webtoons, check it out. What about you? I'm just taking a quick look at that because it's another one that I haven't had a look at. And the art is gorgeous. Oh, I love Usually it, you have to pay money for this type of gorgeous. So well, that there, is... there is a pay option that if you want to get it before everyone else. Ah, there you go. You can pay, and it's not, it's a very modest fee. Like, it's not like it's nothing I would be offended at. Um, but you can pay to get it before everybody else. Um, I got I've, you. I've got friends that actually pay that, and um, I've been beside the Webtoons booth at Heroes Con before, and they are about hustle and platform. And if you're a creative artist and you want to put out product and you haven't been discovered by the big books yet, this is an option. It's a great option. It's so true. They do so well at shows. Oh, we're back to missing shows again. Okay, so my five. I am kind of all over the place, but some of these books are books that all of you have heard me mention in the past, but I'm actually going to go in reverse of my original order because reasons. But you never knew the order, so enjoy it. Um, first of all, I have, uh, Donny Cates, uh, God country from image. And so many of you probably know who Donny Cates is because Marvel loves them. Some Donny Cates and Donny is writing half a billion books for them and still has independent projects out there. But God country was kind of right on the edge of everyone was figuring out who Donny Cates was as a writer and just how freaking amazing he is. And God Country was one of those projects that he just really wanted to do, and so he did. And he brought along one of his classmates from SCAD, Jeff Shaw, to write to do the art for it. And so you get this absolutely bonkers tale out of the wonderful state of Texas about this old man who has um, dementia and is having difficulty remembering his family and his family's kind of come to try to help him settle and everything. And like comic books do, a magical interstellar traveling sword falls out of the sky and the old man picks it up and suddenly can remember everything. And... I'm just going to tell you that one of the things that was most amazing about this series for me, other than dementia, sword, remembering things, travel, craziness. Yes. No, all those things, comic book, and then some. Um, But this journey truly is more so about the reality of this old man coming to terms with his dementia and that his family also realizing that he's gone and he's not going to remember these things. And you kind of pick up early on in this book that you're not going to love the ending because if you can pick up some random magical object and suddenly remember everything, what does that mean when you put it back down? Yeah, you get them feels in the first issue before you even realize as the rest of the journey unfolds, why this book is really going to punch you right between the eyes. But even knowing that this journey is just, it's visually stunning and it's this really interesting discussion about both sides of the family coming to terms with what having someone in their family with dementia is all about. And that's just mind blowing giving where this story like starts from and everything. So I tell everyone, if you want to know why Donnie Cates is a freaking amazing writer and that he's done some awesome stuff with Jeff in the past, you just need to pick the book up and read it. Um, so God country from image is one of those books that I always tell people it's only six individual issues. It's a fairly quick read, but you are going to be happy that you went on the journey. So, One of my next picks is one that we might have even talked about last episode. I think we did. Um, So it bears repeating. Uh, Tom (laughs) King's uh, The Vision 
well, Tom was writing stuff over at the Marvel before he went to DC to write Batman and to do Mr. Miracle and now doing, you know, strange adventures and all that. One of his seminal works really is the vision and so good. Right. Um, we all know vision, right? The automaton that literally has an infinity gem in his forehead and all that good stuff. Well, Tom King doing what Tom King does incredibly well does a, well, what if we look at, you know, this dude's like normal life. If you haven't figured out that's Tom's thing, he takes the really craziest characters, puts them in the, well, what if their quote unquote life was normal? What does that look like next to the pure insanity that is their comic book existence? Well, you know, the vision has been doing those Avenger things and he kind of realizes from watching his Avenger family he he doesn't have a family. So what is the most logical thing that a a robot basically um would do if they realized they didn't have a family? Well, the vision builds one because that's what he does. Um and this is Tom's story about this family that he literally creates him a wife and two children, a son and a daughter and a dog, because you obviously have to have a dog. If you created the rest of the family, um, drops them in suburbia and well, <laughs> life happens and life happens in the most confounding way possible. And I don't want to give away any of the bits of it because I want to say that the main event of this book completely caught me off guard um and then just how it's handled through the rest of it is pretty amazing because you're seeing it through that robot logic of complications in life that life and death is is very real discussion for all of us as human beings well watching a lot of that play out in the minds of logically processing robots is a thing (laughs) um And I'm positive I am underselling this book, but I'm doing so on purpose because I kind of don't want to ruin that main thing is there. It's got this murder mystery piece to it, but it's not in the way that you think. There's also some really good questions. (laughs) Yeah, I would say that's fair, but there's also (laughs) some really good discussions on the infinite, on eternity, on God. Like there's... There's this one bit, dude, that like literally hit me to the bones of like, I don't know if I can believe in a God, but help me pray. Like, I mean, I was like, oh, ooh, okay. But there's right. there's more humanity and vision than in a lot of other books, which is the irony of it. You know, it's a book about robots, but you get more humanity. So they really are picking apart that logical question of what do all these things mean? We know they exist, but what do they actually mean? Um, so if you want some more of that Tom King goodness in like some of the most confusing and confounding ways, but asking some really deep questions, you should be reading the vision. It's really good stuff. And you can get it in a totally collected edition. It did come out as volumes one and two, but you can get it as a collected and it's not that expensive. It's worth it. Um, one of my other big things, if any of you are surprised by this, just know you you can unsubscribe. <laughs> um, no, don't don't unsubscribe. Don't, don't do please that. don't. No. Um, <laughs> but I've been telling you I am quite positive since the very first episode, if not the very first, the second episode, that you should be reading Jeff Lemire's Descender, and I mean it. <laughs> and because it's an image book, all of Image number one trades are always nine ninety nine. It's ten bucks. So if you aren't hooked at the end of that, cool. Well. Enjoy the art because it is absolutely beautiful. It's this watercolor. It is beautiful type, art. I'll say type that. thing. It is a truly wonderful thing. But it's a sci-fi type story of a child um, that suffered from a very traumatic event as a child, and then kind of goes through their life impacted by that event, but also starting to find out more and more about it. And you find out that every child gets these robots, basically. Huh. Two of my things have to do with autonomous robots interesting um that as a kid you literally get this thing called a tim that is a childhood companion that basically you get a brother or a sister that you didn't actually have while you grow up um and 
this kid had developed a very close relationship with him, thought that he had lost him in the terrible event along with some other family members, and they are reunited. And the rest of the story kind of unfolds from there because part of that event was literally that machines are attempting to destroy all humanity because there was a great war where humans tried to destroy all robots. So, you know, a tale that is as old as time, um, people versus the machine type thing. But there's a lot of heart and soul in this book throughout it that you did not know was possible for you to care about machines. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to. And unless you are a machine yourself, you're going to cry about what happens to one of those machines. And I'm not sorry for that. Um, But Descender has multiple volumes. So that's one of those things that if you start it, I think it goes through volume seven to complete the thing before it transitions into the ongoing book currently um, that is... Ascender. So it's one of those things that you can read for a pretty good long period of time through this thing. And it's a fun journey. There's lots of twists and turns and it's just a gorgeous book to stare at. And I like giving people good things to stare at and enjoy. So Descender's always going to be on my new to your you list. And that brings me down to my last two. Which equally probably should not come as a surprise to Shocker. anyone. Um, I don't know if either Hector and I have mentioned Kingdom Come recently, but here we are mentioning it again, that Kingdom Come is an awesome DC story that, you know, kind of like Identity Crisis that sits kind of on the edge of the DC universe and the Justice League, where, first of all, you get Alex Ross art, which is just Alex usually does covers because he does hyper realistic and really good stuff. And this entire thing is Alex Ross. Um, and Mark Wade wrote this. So you couldn't ask for a higher powered team, but you are flashed forward into this future of the justice league where Superman's old, Batman's old. They're all old. And they're like, yeah, we kind of don't want a superhero anymore because we old and the world is just kind of falling apart that the younger generation of superheroes are well, um, much is yeah, much left to be desired. (laughs) And the world is just dealing with the, Oh, those are super people, but they kind of don't care. And what does this mean? And well, evil always exists in the lands of comic books. And, a devious plot is hatched and you go on this journey of the older members of the justice league having to step back in during all of this and because the dealing kids are getting too rowdy. Yeah. The kids, the kids, they be, they be bouncing off the wall. They've had too much sugar. Um, and it is a really heartfelt book that ultimately comes to a ton of amazing discussions on again, there's a lot that can be extrapolated on faith, eternity, self-sacrifice is a huge part of this story. It's narrated by a pastor who's struggling with his faith. So, right. And he's visited by the spirit. Um, Spectre. Spectre. That's right. I just, that was bad, but yeah, Spectre similar yet different. Contractually different, legally distinct, legally, legally very different. <laughs> um, that walks him through this entire process, and so it's really an interesting read, and it's one of those things that, as pastors, Hector and I definitely can have tons of fun in conversating through this because there are lots of big questions that are asked through a comic book lens here, and so it's one of the places I love to have comic book discussions from because. Faith or no faith, you can have amazing discussions about what life is about and what light versus dark truly looks like in a comic book setting. So if you're looking for that type of thing, Kingdom Come is a fun look at, you know, A, what does all of our favorite Justice Leaguers look like when they're like, you know, they're punching their AARP cards and they're going for early bird specials at, you know, their locally themed restaurant. That wasn't me kidding. That's literally almost something that happens in this book more than once. Um, So 
it's just, it's super fun to look at and there's a lot of depth there and it's not a very long read. So it's something that you can really sink your teeth into and have a lot to think about early. And so that leaves me with my, one of my top picks, which super surprise is Watchmen. Um, and I probably don't need to provide a lot of background to Watchmen because this book I have talked about a lot. Um, yeah, the world's talked about it a lot too lately. <laughs> right. And because we literally had the HBO stuff, um, which, you know, is technically an after the events of uh, this. But Alan Moore um, tells us this tale of a Reagan era vigilante group and we're really talking again about the reality of are superheroes really superheroes or are they just dudes in masks that are doing bad things but to bad people and what does that line really mean <laughs> um what does is is that ultimately good is it ultimately bad um what happens when we look at the undercarriage of superheroes and their motivations are we going to be cool with it? Are the superheroes really going to be okay with who they are? So the Watchmen has always been considered a deconstruction of the modern superhero. And that's probably not overselling it that there, Alan Moore wrote a very complicated, it is a narrative heavy story family. <laughs> the art is really good. Um, but it's also, it's it's a thick read. It's a denser read. So if you're looking for that, um, a little more exploration on the vigilante side of everything, and what does it look like when superheroes are up against tough decisions, and what ultimately is the right decision in the end? That that's really what Alan Moore was trying to pull apart in his deconstruction is. Is the right thing really the right thing for everyone and vice versa? So it's it's a complicated story, but it's one of my favorites because there's there's a lot <laughs> to take from between the panels um, in the gutters, as it were, just to figure out what all of that really means together. So if you've still not managed to get to get around to Watchmen or it's time for your annual reread, you should do that right now. And by the way, if you've seen the movie or the HBO show or any of the other things and not read the book, read the book. Yeah. Because while I will say I strongly stand by Zack Snyder's movie, I thought it was a little over aggressive yep. comparatively speaking, but it was still probably one of the better adaptations of things. Um, and I think the HBO show nailed a post Watchmen world. Um, but there is nothing that compares to the wonder that is done on the page between Gibbons and Moore. Um, Absolutely. Uh, and I will stand by saying that uh, is it issue six. Um, but whichever, whatever issue is fearful symmetry um, in that run as a single issue in the story. Fearful mm. symmetry is one of the single greatest comic books created period. Um, just visual storytelling because they do something with a single issue of comics that has not been replicated well ever again um, mm. because it was subtle and it was beautiful and like literally will have you flipping pages back and forth because you can't believe somebody pulled that off. Yeah. Um, and you don't even know about it really until somebody tells you usually. Um, True but story. I mean it. Yeah, if you don't know, if you haven't individually checked out Watchmen or looked at just how fearful symmetry plays out, it's totally worth it. Yeah, and you need, and that's why I say it's a dense read, but it's also a dense view that Gibbons is not holding back a lot of major cues in everything that's going on. And that's why I say most of that story is even happening in the gutters, the white space between panels that. It is a dense book from front to back in terms of the story that's being told, how it's being told, and ultimately where they end up with it. So, yeah, if you've absorbed it in a video format, you need to go back and read it. And if you've read it, go back and read it. I read it almost at least once a year because I do catch new things because it's just so dense that I need to take a break. <laughs> And then go back and read it fresh every so often that it's one of those that 
it's not just a fanboy fan service thing that there is a lot going on in in that story. So so that's kind of our first edition of COVID reads for all of you. We hope that you've enjoyed hearing us talk about some of the things that we thoroughly enjoy. And we've given you some, some new ideas to go out and try during our time down, but that's going to do it for us here at the pull list podcast. Episode three of season two is now in the books and in your ears, but we couldn't possibly do any of this alone. As many of you know, we take this epic journey of podcasts and fandom with two other amazing podcasts that are part of the love thy nerd podcast network. Humans of Gaming with Drew and Chris does interviews with game designers, producers, and creators and gets really to the heart of why they do what they do. And Bubba, Matt, and Kate bring us the free play podcast that covers just about everything nerdy and possible in between. It's a lot of fun. So we talked a little bit about Love Thy Nerd earlier. We are part of Love Thy Nerd and their podcast network, and they are cranking out a ton of digital content and even more video over on their video YouTube channel so feel free to check out some of those other things if you're looking for some other nerdy stuff tabletop games video games and all that and just hang out with us while we try to get through this covid thing just like everybody else so hector and i this is just us saying thank you for one more time for being your primary comic book knowledge factory on a near weekly basis so don't leave us hanging rate and review the show on your podcasting app of choice and we're gonna see you guys hopefully in the next two weeks with some more awesome COVID reads, or hopefully we'll be talking about the industry coming back to life and coming alive. So thanks for listening. And remember kids read more comics. I'm going to take all seven continents of the game of risk.